Welcome to FEPS Talks, the podcast series of the Foundation for European Progressive Studies. Find out more about us on feps-europe.eu. Hello, my name is Lance Luander. I'm the Secretary General of FEPS, the Foundation for European Progressive Studies. This is FEPS Talks, the podcast series of uh, FEPS. And today we're going to discuss uh, economics, specifically European uh, economics. And I have the pleasure to welcome on this program Raymond Torres. Uh, Raymond is Director for Macroeconomic and International Analysis at Funcas, which is a think tank in Spain he established. He is also an Associated Professor of Sustainable Development at the Instituto de Empresa, and a columnist uh, for El País. Welcome to the program, Raymond. Um, it's great to have you uh, with My us. My pleasure. Why don't we also share with um, our listeners that we already knew each other at the time of the previous crisis when uh, you were in charge of uh, the research department of the International Labour Organization in Geneva. And I must confess that the memories of the past crisis um, are driving me to the first uh, question, because I would like to ask you about the comparison between um, the current crisis and the previous one. Can we borrow the expression in a positive light that this time it is different? Is it different this time than in the previous very problematic uh, crisis response? Yes, in many ways it is different. Uh, first of all, the crisis itself was a different one. Uh, the, the previous one was a financial crisis, so the, the whole financial system was simply not working. This one is a health crisis, so it's a kind of a, you know, the, the economy had to close, had to stop, you know, the, had to be closed in order to uh, overcome the, the health crisis. So it's a very different type. But I think it's also different in the sense that the response has been different. As you remember, Laszlo, uh, last time, the response was very much marked by the austerity type of policies. This time, there has been an understanding that fiscal policy had to play a very important role. First of all, to protect the economy from collapsing, enterprises from closing down, mass unemployment. And secondly, to kickstart the recovery. So where I see some similarities that uh, it's, it's actually in the, in the recovery phase, that we're going to face little by little pretty much the same old problems uh, which characterized the European economy a while ago. You highlighted the importance of the crisis response. Can you assess the response in a Spanish and also the European <laughs> context? What would you highlight as uh, you know, the strength and the merits of the strategy this time? The, the biggest trend has probably been the job retention schemes, uh, all kinds of support from Kurzarbeit in Germany to Chômage Partiel in France, Casa Integration in Italy, and of course in Spain, uh, the ERTE, which is an instrument similar to the European countries, which has been deployed uh, much more extensively than was the case in the previous crisis. And I think this has helped both in Spain and in general in Europe to avoid a significant increase in unemployment. And this actually, at least to my surprise, I don't know what you think, Lazo, but uh, I thought this would not only have saved jobs, which was predicted, but it would have been also meant that the recovery uh, would be accompanied with very little job creation because in a way the jobs were already in place and people simply mm-hmm. had to be reincorporated. But actually we're seeing quite decent job creation in this recovery phase. So I think this has been very useful in cautioning the impact of the crisis. Mm-hmm. Of course, also another instrument which has been used very successfully in most European countries has been the provision of liquidity 
to viable enterprises that were facing a, simply a, a closure and uh, the uh, and therefore this uh, helped avoid uh, a, a cascade uh, bankruptcies throughout the European countries. Uh, this has been multi-billion uh, programs. So these were the, the strong instruments. The, the, weak, the weak elements has been the recovery phase. The European recovery program, the you know, next generation EU, is a step in the right direction, but it came late. It was decided mm-hmm. almost a year ago and still is not in place. So it, mm-hmm. if you compare it to the US, you see the US has been a, a strong, very strong, stronger, in fact, and quicker response. And, and secondly, it's very much geared towards transformation, not necessarily recovery. So it's not necessarily recovery type fiscal policies, more something to accompany a transformation of the economy. So this has been perhaps the weakest part. So a step in the right direction with the European program, but not the kind of program that was needed in, in terms of timing and nature. But how could this weakness be sorted out? Uh, would you envisage or even propose a, a next generation EU2? So some kind of follow up or a top up or a, a next phase of a real stimulus? I think what would be useful is to envisage a new, a real uh, stabili- fiscal stabilization element. So next generation EU is, is a very useful tool in order to help transform the economies in terms of the digital revolution, in terms of, uh, of course, uh, the environmental concerns that we have in order to facilitate energy transitions and so on. This, this is very, very important because we need investment and we need reforms to achieve that. But this is something that will take time and does not really serve the purpose of addressing a recession. For a recession, you need a fiscal tool which it can be activated very quickly and up to the task of the recession, up to the size of a recession. And this we still don't mm-hmm. have. So we need this kind of fiscal tool. This would be the next stage, in my opinion, uh, the creation of a fiscal stabilization tool along with uh, new fiscal rules because in the absence of a fiscal stabilization rule uh, or tool, what happens is that countries are left to their own devices, but they are in a way constrained through all kinds of fiscal rules, which at the moment are not active. They have been suspended, but will be reactivated at some point. Exactly. I think if we look at the previous crisis again, and if you want to understand what has to be avoided, we need to pay attention again and again to uh, the massive and dangerous uh, divergence and polarization in terms of the economic situations and also the social consequences of the crisis which we uh, saw uh, 10 uh, years ago. How do you see the risk of such a divergence in the current situation in case the policy responses and the tools we described remain insufficient? Yes, I think the risks are even greater than was the case after the, the, the last crisis, the financial crisis. Because, uh, in fact, uh, I think it's, um, it's important to understand that what is going on is not only an economic recovery from the health crisis, from the pandemic, but also there is a very significant structural transformation which has been accelerated because of the pandemic. And so you see a lot more e-commerce and a, a lot less presential commerce. You see a lot more fintechs and a lot less traditional banking and so on and so forth. There is, and the way we work is also very different, has been accelerated. Things that maybe would have happened over a period of five years or more 
have been compressed over a short period of time. And so the risk of um, internal dislocations and more social inequalities even more than was the case before. And uh, the, the consequence of that is actually is political fragmentation. Very difficult. It's very difficult in most European countries, I believe, to form stable governments and to do reforms which otherwise are needed in order to accompany mm -hmm. and take and seize the opportunities of those technological transformations. But uh, they, these are the moment, of course, there is resistance to those reforms because the starting position, which is one of inequalities and even more insecurity, has been exacerbated because of the pandemic. So I think the, the most important, in my opinion, priority in order to avoid uh, this uh, divergence is to look internally in countries for instruments to contain that. But of course, there is also risk of a divergence across countries, which was there before, but will be even more because the pre-crisis, the pre-pandemic divergences have been exacerbated uh, with the increases in, in public debt positions, which tend to coincide with mm -hmm. the countries which are at risk of lagging behind. And so addressing those divergences, including fiscal positions, will be a very important element very soon after recovery is well in place. Then we have to uh, jump immediately to the question of revising the fiscal rules because um, you know this debate has been latent for some time um, sometimes um, you know public officials at the EU level uh, speak um, about it but not so much in the recent month and it seems to me that we would need very quickly if not urgently return to a serious discussion about fiscal rules how to ensure that they don't remain pro cyclical take into account the asymmetries in the uh, euro area. What is your expectation in this regard? My expectation would be that uh, it's going to be very difficult to revise all rules, but my hope is that they will be revised. And so I think that uh, the status quo, in other words, uh, reverting to the pre-crisis fiscal rules would be very difficult for most European countries, but in particular for the ones which had difficulties before in catching up with uh, the rest of Europe, uh, mm -hmm. because the legacy of the crisis is a very significant increase in public debt. For example, in the case of Spain, uh, public debt now represents about 120, 125% of GDP, 20%, 25% points more than before the crisis. So we're reaching uh, thresholds which uh, make it very difficult to comply with fiscal rules in terms of uh, public debt, and also fiscal positions themselves had been exacerbated because of the crisis, uh, in part because of the recommendations of the Commission itself, uh, recommendations in order to contain the impact of the crisis in terms of jobs, in terms of enterprise closures and so on. And so, I mean, it, it's, it's unthinkable that those fiscal rules are applied this, exactly the same way as before the crisis. But in any case, those fiscal rules had a number of uh, problems. As you mentioned, procyclicality. In other words, the fiscal rules acted uh, very strongly in order to contain deficits at the time when deficits were needed. And there were two lags when deficits were not needed because the economy was already growing. So actually, they didn't work very well in that, in that way. But in addition to that, the fiscal rules were so detailed and so complex, consisting of a cascade of regulations, which meant that they were very difficult to apply and were a little bit opaque for many countries. Uh, instead, I think I would argue in favor of a, an overhaul of the rules in order to achieve medium-term targets, allowing for short-term fluctuations in the deficit to respond to crisis. 
Those medium-term targets being defined in terms of, for example, an expenditure path, permanent expenditure path, which you could increase if you raise permanent revenues at the same time and allows you to diverge from the, that permanent expenditure path if you have fluctuations in activity going up in recessions and down in expansions. And that's one idea. I'm sure there are others, but I think that's very important. And in, hand in hand with the uh, new fiscal rules, I think it would be very useful to imagine uh, elements of a next generation EU to remain in place beyond the existing program, which goes, as you know, until 2026. And imagine to make this a permanent future of Europe, uh, combining some EU-wide uh, industrial, technology, energy, environmental policies, along with reforms, a package of investments, pro-Europe investments, mm -hmm. along with reforms, in order to uh, also correct some of the cross-country inequalities uh, which are associated with uh, insufficient reforms. Sometimes insufficient reforms are due to the fact that there's no resources. So you ask mm -hmm. countries or countries themselves understand they have to make reforms, but there are no resources in order to implement them. And that's very different in practice. And so this is the kind of tool that if made permanent, next generation EU, can accompany new fiscal rules within countries in a very coherent way. I, I want to speak with you about uh, the recovery. What kind of recovery we should expect? Uh, because indeed, the key question is how this post-crisis reconstruction could be combined with the green transition, but at the same time, a new push for digitalization and a kind of technological change. I think this is probably the art of European policymaking today, how to combine these uh, three. Do you see any good examples, good inspiration, which would you know, allow for uh, developing a vision, but also the practice? of this policy making? I think the, uh, the hurt of the matter will be to, to tailor, I mean, everybody talks about reforms and reforms in Europe, but I think the reforms have to be conceived, formulated, and of course implemented, taking into account the transformations you are talking about. So for example, in terms of fiscal policy, I think it's extremely important to uh, reform taxes, the tax system, in ways which are consistent and already envisage the kind of economy which will have to prevail in 10 years' time. So green taxes, some incentives for the digital economy in small enterprises, for innovation. I think this the tax instrument is extremely important and it has to be reformed because the uh, at the moment we have a problem of technology. We don't always have exactly all the technology we need, you know, the, for example, to meet the environmental targets. And for this technology to be in place, it's not only public investment, you also need private investment. Private investment is driven uh, in part by the tax policy. So the tax, there has to be a tax horizon sufficiently long and stimulating for the private sector in order for private investment to be consistent with the environmental and also technology targets that we have in place. So that's one element. The other type of reform has to do with the reform of competition policy. So mm. for a long time, Europe had a, a, the philosophy of competition policy was level playing field. In other words, everybody would be able to compete on the same terms and that had to be protected through a number of rules to um, prevent anti-competitive practices. So these, of course, had a, a lot of, made a lot of sense. They had a strong rationale, but it doesn't work in a world where we have China or the United States, which are favoring their own champions. Therefore, in a way, 
can we actually have already won key markets like semiconductors? As you know, Laszlo, we have a shortage of semiconductors today. It's one of actually the breaks at the moment on the recovery, which is already taking place because the price of those semiconductors is very is reaching very high levels, and, and therefore it's uh, eroding our purchasing power. And uh, we need to invest in a number of strategic sectors like semiconductors. I think the electric vehicle would be tra transformative, this kind of tool, and of course renewable energy. So two or three, I mean, let's not be overly ambitious, key drivers of future growth, and which should allow competition policy, of course, within that, but with a clear uh, kind of a state which guides those investments. And, and this is a, a different type of competition policies. You also need competition, but driven by uh, some sort of state-defined goals or EU-defined goals within which there could be some competition among European enterprises. And I think we have the example of Airbus in the past. This has been successful. You asked before examples of policies that work. I would say we have a CO2 market of polluting rights. Uh, which, I mean, seems to be working after all, and now it's well in place. I think we have good examples of the past. I think we should uh, build on those in order to indeed create a reform momentum which is consistent with those environmental and technology objectives and also have a, a new type of uh, competition policy to make this idea of national sovereignty, uh, which is uh, uh, something, you know, strategic sovereignty, mm -hmm. which make it a reality and not just something which is, exists only in the words or in texts. If I read um, your analysis correctly, I think it points towards a much stronger European capacity to coordinate economic uh, uh, policies, uh, because you speak about you know turning the crisis response tools to permanent ones, a stronger industrial policy which takes into account account the global competition in which Europeans find themselves in an innovation policy uh, which is more powerful at the European level. So this requires the European Union to arm itself with new governance and coordination capacity. But this is very important to ask at the end. Do you really believe that the EU is capable of doing this? The EU can develop in the coming years a, a much stronger arsenal of economic governance tools in order to deliver on these expectations? Well, one can be skeptical given what we know from the past and the different uh, political positions of the past. But I think there are two new elements which um, I think make this, this hope a little bit more realistic. The first one has to do with the, the pandemic itself. That uh, I think one of the lessons from the pandemic has been that the, the loss of strategic presence in a number of sectors has been a major problem for European economies, not to be able to produce a number of strategic health products and not to have a technological capacity in a number of sectors has proven to be a problem during the crisis and now in the middle of the recovery. And I think there is a much greater awareness of this across all European countries, including in Germany, for example, where Maybe, you know, this was a country which was not so convinced that it was needed, a stronger, you know, European-wide action. I think Germany, as well as other European countries, certainly Spain, has understood that it was needed. I think also in, in your own region, in, in Central Europe, in Hungary and other countries, I think there is perhaps more realization that Europe must have a presence there and should not leave these sectors of the future simply to the competition between the United States and China. The second element which makes the present situation different, and I think 
creates a bit more hope for a, a stronger European presence in this kind of industrial policy or new type of industrial policy has to do with next generation EU that has been possible to launch a real, I mean, after all, what is next generation EU? You could say is a, some type of industrial policy, not of the kind of the 70s or 80s that fail, but a type of industrial policy which uh, is consistent with competition and certainly with the new targets which have been established in Europe. And this has has been possible, is already in place. And so I think it's usually much easier once something exists to uh, renew it, perpetuate it, you know, with, of course, there will be reforms and changes rather than creating it ex nihilo from zero. So we have those two elements, you know, the awareness of the importance of it for Europe to be present in some key strategic sectors and, you know, the fact that we managed to, after all, launch a major program on the next generation EU, which I think makes me think that maybe this time would be different. Wonderful. Thank you so much uh, for this uh, conclusion. I think uh, you presented us uh, not only a very thorough analysis of um, the state of Europe from an economic uh, perspective, but also a vision of the possibility of um, the the reconstruction beyond the recovery. And this reconstruction leading uh, probably to a new chapter with um, uh, stronger uh, European uh, capacities, also to address the risk of um, polarization and divergence, which I agree indeed is um, absolutely uh, critical. And I think you stress that Europe definitely should be seen as um, the solution at least, you know, offering uh, uh, the solutions uh, rather than European policies or some of the European policies being the problem, as um, occasionally it happened to be in in the past, especially in the past so-called Eurozone crisis. So, actually, thank you very much for um, this analysis and also the vision. Ladies and gentlemen, you have heard um, my conversation with uh, Raymond Torres, head of the Funkas Think Tank. Thank you very much, Laszlo and and Febs, for this invitation. It was a real pleasure. We wish to continue this exchange on many, many other issues of economic policy uh, also in the future. Thank you, Raymond, and goodbye. For your attention. If you found our conversation interesting, do not hesitate to share it on social media with the hashtag FEPSTalks. More is yet to come. Stay tuned. <laughs>